Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Veterinary Advice, Animal News and Views, the place for pets. And they're people who love them. Aw, he's so soft. Come here, come here, boy. Here is your host, practicing veterinarian, veterinary news network reporter, and host of the popular YouTube show, The Web DVM, Dr. Roger Welton. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Veterinary Advice, Animal News and Views. I'm your host, Roger Welton, coming to you live from the Florida Space Coast. To my uh, new platform, YouNow, uh, welcome everybody. Thank you for tuning in via the live streaming video. Uh, as a lot of you that tune in to the to whatever media you turn in, tune into, as you know, I do the podcast as well as we do a live video stream for the for the broadcast. Previously, we were using Blog TV as our forum um, for <clears throat> doing a live stream. It was really a nice venue to enable that to happen. And Blog TV has now merged with younow.com. So in the past, we were blogtv.com, front slash RWDVN. It's real simple now. If you are a fan of the live broadcast and, and you haven't been able to find the younow video feed, no worries. It's younow.com front slash RWDVM, and that's where we're going to be coming from from now on. It is a very, really cool forum to to come to you on and has a lot more capability than Blog TV had, and we're, I'm learning my way through it here, so um, I'm sure there's a lot more features that I haven't tapped into yet. So my YouNow crowd, anybody watching there, um, I appreciate your patience as I work through the new uh, format with you now. To my podcast listeners, a very fun welcome to you all. <clears throat> Nothing has changed there, coming to you from blogtalkradio.com. And of course, all of this, <clears throat> whether you prefer to read the print, you prefer to watch the video, or you prefer to listen to the podcast, you can just tune into web-dvm.net where the blog is. There's also a massive uh, veterinary advice and information website, complete with a symptom checker and all kinds of great free modalities that you can help to learn various things about caring for your pets, health care, whatnot. So um, it's all available there, but however you're coming to me this evening, I'm grateful to have so many of you interested in uh, listening to little old me. Tonight's topic is <clears throat> pet poisoning in the home. It is a common occurrence. It happens so, more, so much more commonly than people would realize. And I think it would be very surprising to a lot of people when you actually sit back and listen and realize where a lot of these poisonings are coming from. You know, a lot of people hear pet poisoning and they're thinking sadistic neighbor, dog or cat got into chemicals, things of that nature, but you'd be surprised the source of a lot of these toxicities. Um, a lot of them are so mundane and so unexpected. That's part of why I'm coming to you tonight because we need to educate everybody about this so it happens a lot less. We also have two email questions. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a listener slash viewer participation show. We take questions, comments by email. The email is comments at web-dvm.net, comments at web-dvm.net. We also take live calls. The live call-in number is one 877 Give me a call. We're here to take your call live throughout this entire episode. Love to hear what you have to say. 
Let's uh, before we jump into the topic, let's hear from Kim from Miami Beach, Florida. Kim has the following question. Dear Dr. Roger, my groomer has told me that the heartworm issue in dogs is very overplayed by veterinarians in an effort to continue a very lucrative revenue stream by selling heartworm prevention products to dog owners. She suggested that I stop treating my dogs for heartworm and just have them screened once a year when they go in for the yearly visits. Since you are a Florida-based veterinarian, I would appreciate perspective on her opinion. I'm glad you contacted me, Kim, and and really... um, you know, for questions like this also, your veterinarian, whoever you use for the regular care of your dog also, I'm sure would be happy to answer this question for you. But um, this groomer could not be more wrong. It's absolutely asinine. Um, it's actually beyond asinine. It's irresponsible for her to say such things. Here in the state of Florida, we're, we're the heartworm capital of the nation. And the reason we're the heartworm capital of the nation is because we lead the nation in mosquitoes. We have more mosquitoes than any other state, and therefore we have more heartworm than any other state. Now, mind you, any state that has any season where there's mosquitoes has the potential for canines to contract heartworm disease. And heartworm disease is no laughing matter. It's a very serious problem. And we have these very safe preventives out there to prevent a very, very common disease, not just here in Florida, but everywhere, but especially here in Florida, um, why not take advantage of that? Why just do yearly screening, wait till the dog is infected with heartworm, and then have to do, you know, a semi-toxic treatment with arsenic injections to treat the infection? It just doesn't make any sense to me. Your groomer really should not be telling people this. And I would ask you to ask her to please refrain from such irresponsible things to to say, because some people take their groomers very seriously. And and mind you, there's a lot of groomers out there that are very knowledgeable and keep themselves educated, but this particular groomer could not be more wrong. I diagnose a new case of heartworm every month, sometimes two or three a month. I mean, it's absolutely crazy, um, you know, how much heartworm we see for her to be saying something like that. It's just, it's it's just, I don't know, it just really sticks in my crown. Very um uh, very disappointed to hear that, but I'm glad you contacted me. Indeed, yes, definitely, without a doubt, please keep your dog on heartworm prevention. Um, so let's get into our topic. We, um, we're talking about pet poisoning, and the various sources that we have that help us to track and, and um, keep a case-based sort of count of pet poisoning, uh, well, there's two different agencies. There's the the poison the pet poison helpline, and then there's the Animal Poison Control Center of the ASPCA. And between the two of them, they receive 300,000 calls, 300,000 calls per um, per pet, or I'm sorry, for re, re, related to pet poisoning. That is an astounding number. That's 300,000 calls per year. I mean, that is beyond crazy. Um, very large number. And these are just the ones that are reported. You know, mind you, I have toxicity cases come through the door from, you know, everyday household poisoning that we're not necessarily contacting these places um, because we, we have the information we need or, or the owner, um, you know, has has just come directly to us and hasn't made the call. But, you know, 300,000 is a starting point, huge number. 
And so, as I said earlier, when I first began the episode, <clears throat> we are talking about poisoning in a matter of, you know, a lot of folks are going to think, oh, you know, again, being intoxicated or poisoned by a sadistic neighbor. Yes, those things happen. Not that common. Um, pet gets into chemicals. Does it happen? Yes, not that common. Believe it or not, most dogs, most cats are not going to be lapping up something really, really toxic. So, you know, for the most part, it tastes bad. They're going to stop messing with it for the most part. But, of course, there's exceptions, and we'll get to that. But here's the most common source. You're not going to believe it. Over-the-counter human medications, Tylenol, Advil, aspirin, other anti-inflammatories, prescription drugs that pet owners may have in the home to treat their own health problems. Um, Now, some of these are the result of the pet being sneaky and getting into these medications. Advil is ibuprofen, anti-inflammatory. They're candy-coated, so they can be a little bit tasty, and so, of course, a dog may want to get into those. Maybe a cat, but cats are a little bit more discerning than dogs. Well, anyway, bottom line is that, um, you know, they get, they're sneaky. We leave them behind. Accidents happen. Understandable. But believe it or not, that's not the most common source of the intoxication with these particular drugs. The most common source is people treating with them. Uh, they perceive their dog or cat is in pain. They decide to self-treat. They give Tylenol or Advil or aspirin or another anti-inflammatory a leave. And next thing you know, they have a very sick, sick, intoxicated pet. These things are not safe for use in dogs and cats. Um, Self-treating is is a very, very bad idea, um, especially if you have a veterinarian at your disposal. And so we have dogs and cats at a very different rate of metabolism. They have different physiology with regard to how they metabolize pharmacological items. And they also have different sizes where dosing considerations are going to be vastly different than people. And there are just some things that cats can't take that even dogs can take. There are some things that cats can take that dogs can't take. And there are things that people can take that dogs and cats can't take. I mean, we have to be very careful about over-the-counter medication. So don't go messing around with that. It is our most common form of intoxication. A lot of folks, I'm sure, are surprised about that. So the next on the list of you know, potential household um, intoxications or or poison items. We're talking about topical insecticides. So insecticides that, you know, they're put on between the shoulder blades to prevent fleas and ticks, things of that nature. And overall, these medications are, are quite safe, but here's where the intoxication can come from. Pet owner misuse of these products. So a big one is, um, a, a canine product used on a feline, big, big problem there, can make the cats very sick. I had this one particular owner who had a product called Zodiac. Not a fan of Zodiac to begin with, um, but, you know, as far as safety is concerned for dogs, yeah, pretty safe. You know, I don't think it's the best flea and tick topical out there, but, um, you know, whatever the case, you're generally not going to hurt your canine with it. But the owner decided that, she was going to um, treat her cat with it. <laughs> and um, she decided she was going to you know, do this in order as a means to save money. What she planned to do was take her big dog's dose and divide it up and put a little on her cat each month and be able to stretch out this canine product because, you know, what you use on a dog should be fine for a cat, at least she thought. 
the dog came or the cat came into my clinic um, looking like it was seizuring at first, but then I took a closer look and realized the cat was just suffering from muscle fasciculation, severe muscle tremors all over its body. And we had to hospitalize that kitty for three days on fluids and muscle relaxers and basically wait for it to detox because of what this owner did. Now, she didn't really save much money in the end because she had to pay for that veterinary care. So that's an important lesson learned. The other thing is a lot of these things are dosed by weight. So let's say you get the species right. Well, look at the weights. Um, you know, you use a product that's meant for, say, a Doberman pincher, and you use it on a Chihuahua, um, the concentrations and doses are going to be vastly different. That's another form of intoxication that we'll see is the, the owners just don't read the labels. Another another is um, the owners are a little frustrated by the product. It may not be working as well as they'd hoped, so they bump up the frequency. A lot of these are monthly. You're not supposed to give more than once a month, and owners, we you know, without asking me or asking their own veterinarian, will just go ahead and bump up the frequency and do it every couple of weeks. I've had some owners do it weekly, and so leads to intoxication. So that's another important source. So, um, you know, very important to read the label on these things, guys, and very important to make sure you stick with the species, match the weights with the weight of your pet, and uh, just generally be careful. And if in doubt about a product, because they're not all created equal, always, always use your veterinarian as a resource. We're happy to give you the information uh, regarding the safety of any given insect insecticide topical. So before we um, pop into the next sources of toxicity, I'd like to address our next, our second and, and last email question this evening, sent in by Christine from Hendersonville, Tennessee. Um, and we'll get right back to pet poisoning in just a moment. But Christine's question is as follows. Dr. Roger, my nine-month-old Rottweiler puppy has HOD and gets swelling in his front right wrist and gets too limping badly. The flare-ups last for seven to ten days at a time, and he not only limps, but it affects his energy and appetite as well. My vet prescribes Deramax for these episodes, which does help, but I'm wondering if there was something I could do other than just treat the symptoms, maybe some homeopathic strategy to lessen the severity of the episodes or prevent them. I know from your previous episodes that you have an open mind to alternative medicine, so I'm curious as to what you may suggest for this condition. Please help my baby. I hate to see him in pain. Thank you so much for this wonderful show. Smiley face. Thank you very much, Christine, and I'm happy to help. Um, so your puppy has a condition. She called it um, HOD. That stands for hypertrophic, hypertrophic osteodystrophy. And most commonly when we see it in Rottweilers or other large dogs, it's a growth-related condition. And basically, the long and the short of it is rapid growth leads to growing pains, essentially, um, pain and inflammation at the level of the growth plate, most commonly at the wrist. can be in other joints, but most commonly you see it at the wrist. It appears to follow the typical pattern here in this particular puppy. It is an inflammatory disease, and it does come in waves and episodes. I had a form of it, or not a form of it, <laughs> A, a, a disease that was akin to this as a, a young man myself when I was a teenager growing up had hit my rapid growth phase and it was the, the terminology used for what I had was Osgood-Slaughter disease. And basically I, I would get um, a, a great deal of swelling and, and inflammation in my proximal tibia, so near my knee. And I uh, had to ice it down quite a bit, take anti-inflammatories um, and um, you know basically just kind of wait it out. It, it took a few years 
few years actually into college before it fully went away, but it's a growth-limited problem, and the same applies to hypertrophic osteodystrophy in dogs that are going through this rapid, grace, uh, rapid phase growth, and they experience th- this inflammation. It can be quite painful. They can be really lame. It can make them go off their appetite. It can actually make them run a fever. It can be pretty nasty. And so um, it's nothing to take lightly, but they normally will outgrow it as I, I outgrew my problem, uh, typically by 18 to 24 months of age. So he may have, you know, a bit more time to deal with this. Now, Deramax is fine or any other canine labeled anti-inflammatory to, to deal with this on a symptomatic basis. Deramax is fine. I like Prevacox, uh, uh, anti-inflammatory made by Muriel. I like no um, Rimadil. I like Medicam. Any of these would be appropriate. And, um, these are anti-inflammatories. They can be a little tough on the tummy, so I always would recommend uh, making sure that you give it with food and, and that usually that will keep them, their tummies safe. Now, as far as a homeopathic perspective or alternative medicine perspective, um, these particular cases don't respond well to, to joint health supplements. They're not going to respond well to glucosamine, chondroitin, MSM. There's no harm in giving those things, but you're just going to be wasting your money. I don't think there's going to be really any benefit those particular products help with inflammation within a joint. They're not going to help with inflammation of a growth plate. But what will help is my suggestion would be load this puppy up with omega-3 fatty acids. You want pharmaceutical-grade, fish oil-derived omega-3 fatty acids. A really nice product out there, Nordic Naturals, is a pharmaceutical-grade product that you can get uh, through the Internet. I'm sure your veterinarian has Deramax 3V caps, something um, that is pharmaceutical-grade, don't just buy any Tom, Dick, or Harry product you find at the pet store because these things are not FDA regulated. Um, if fish oils are not processed properly, they can actually oxidize, and that's when people get fish burps from them. We're all familiar with when we take you know, the fish oil caps, the fish burps. That's not normal. That's a sign of a rancid product, an oxidized product. And in those products, you actually lose omega-3. It converts to omega-6 and omega-9 which is bad because those uh, omega-6 and omega-9 are pro-inflammatory. You want anti-inflammatory omega-3, and that's only going to be found in pharmaceutical-grade omega-3 fish oil capsules. So, again, your veterinarian's a great source. NordicNaturals.com, another good source. Um, load them up with those, those omega-3s. What you want to do is push the max dose. You want to give the maximum dose for his body weight. And you, I will guarantee you're going to see a difference in the severity and even possibly the frequency from that alone. And then I would continue to give you Deramax on an as-needed basis. Good luck, Christine, and thank you very much for the question this evening. So let's get back to our pet poisoning uh, topic. We had talked about, um, you know, household over-the-counter medications being our most common source of toxicity, Tylenol, Advil, aspirin, over-the-counter anti-inflammatories in general, prescription drugs that owners may have in the home. Yes, pets can be sneaky and get into these things. That is a source of toxicity, but most commonly it's the owners attempting to self-treat and intoxicating the pets with these items. So we don't want to self-treat. Next on the list is improper use of insecticides for use in flea and tick prevention, using them in the wrong species, not paying attention to the dosing recommendations per um, uh, body weight and whatnot. So uh, we wanted to make sure we use the appropriate species. We want to make sure we use the appropriate weights. So the next, this one's going to really surprise you, the next common source, the next most common source of pet toxicity in the home, believe it or not, you're not going to believe it, is um, food. (laughs) 
people food. Now, I'm sure most of us, most of you, even myself, have been lectured by some veterinarian or some pet care, you know, person, um, whether it's a, another pet owner that pays attention to the veterinarian, whether it's the veterinarian themselves, saying don't feed people food, refrain from feeding people food. It's a lot more than just the predilection to obesity or GI disturbance or the pancreatitis that we can see from this practice of feeding from the table. But believe it or not, there are some foods dogs and cats just should not be eating. They're outright toxic to these, to these animals. And so what are we talking about? Let's give you some examples. Garlic and onions can lead to red blood cell abnormalities in dogs and cats and could lead to anemia or, or even worse, autoimmune disease of the bloodstream. Not good. Chocolate ingestion can lead to development of severe heart arrhythmias in dogs and cats. We see this a lot more in dogs because for some reason cats aren't quite as crazy about chocolate. There's an artificial sweetener called xylitol that's found in many dessert items and cookies and can cause liver failure and death in dogs. A lot of times xylitol is in things we don't even realize it. You're not buying sugar-free cookies necessarily. You're not buying sugar-free anything, yet xylitol is in a lot of things because it's a sweetener enhancement. It reduces the overall calorie count on certain dessert items, and so it's a common food additive that can be very, very toxic to dogs. Other potentially toxic items, macadamia nuts, grapes, raisins. A little surprising, isn't it? So don't feed your pet things from your table. Don't feed them things that you're eating. All they need is their dog food and their cat food to sustain life. A good quality dog and cat food, a good quality treat for the times you want to give them treats, but don't give them table food. By giving them table food, we make them fat. We predispose them to GI disturbance, pancreatitis, which can be life-threatening. We also can intoxicate them, literally poison them with some of these foods. And they come in, and you're going to spend a lot of money, and your pet could be in grave danger. So don't go there. It's not necessary. So our last, and again, like when you know you go back and just sort of Think about the most common household items that are going to poison our pets. You know, a lot of folks put this last item on as the first item, but it's actually the last. And that would be household items such as cleaners, deodorizers, detergents, automotive chemicals, painting supplies. Those are way down on the list as far as toxicity cases. Um, still, though, we have to be careful. We have to be very careful, you know, like naughty little toddlers. I have one of those. <clears throat> Luckily, my son's getting a little older. Not quite the danger of himself he used to be, but my daughter's two and a half. And uh, good Lord, she can get into anything at any given time. Well, our pets can be no different, um, especially when they're puppies and kittens. Very dangerous to themselves. And so what we need to do is secure these items as we would for a toddler or a baby. We need to baby-proof our houses. We need to pet-proof our houses. These items need to be well secured. Pets, you know, can can experience accidental poisoning if they ingest these these products. And as I stated before, okay, in most cases they're going to get a lick of something pretty toxic, detergent or whatever. And as soon as it tastes bad, they're not going to continue to to mess with it. But not all dogs, especially, are that discerning. The other thing, though, is some chemicals 
can taste quite yummy to them. There is antifreeze. <clears throat> Excuse me. Antifreeze actually has a very, very sweet taste. The chemical compound, uh, the primary chemical compound within antifreeze that goes in your car is ethylene glycol. It is a kind of a sugar, not quite a sugar, but but has similar chemical properties, and so it tastes sweet. Dogs love this stuff. Given the opportunity, few dogs will refrain from lapping it up. If your car is leaking antifreeze, they'll lick it right out of lick it right out of a puddle on your driveway. They'll lick it right out of a puddle in your garage. If it's spilt, they will lap it right up. So we need to be extra careful with antifreeze. Some cats will actually drink antifreeze. Again, a little more discerning than dogs, but you know some of them can't resist that sweetness and they will lap it up. Liver failure is what happens when they consume enough of that stuff. And I've treated quite a few cases of ethylene glycol toxicity. So there you have it, folks. That is pet poisoning in a nutshell. Now, of course, there's the sadistic cases of, you know, some neighbor that hates your dog or hates your cat, and there are poisonings that happen um, in that regard. That's really tragic when that happens and really sad that people would do such a thing, but not very common in the end. Um, I will tell you this. When people stoop to that level, lots of times they use rat poison. So I have seen cases where they'll take a steak and pack it with um, decon, Decon is a rat poisoning. Decon itself tastes pretty good, so sometimes they could just throw the decon over your fence and your dog would go ahead and gobble that right down. Um, so rodenticides of that nature kill by causing hemorrhage. They interrupt the, the clotting cascade, the ability to clot, so the, the pet bleeds out. So, you know, your pet comes in and has bleeding gums and, you know, has you know, redness in the whites of the eyes. could mean that it's been intoxicated with a rodenticide. That's your first cue to get to the vet immediately. Um, but that's far less common. I mean, I can only, maybe you know, less than five cases of that I've seen throughout the years. The most common toxicity I've seen is over-the-counter treatment. Um, some of those can be really horrific. So let's be real careful about that, and let's make sure our pets don't in get intoxicated. I thank you very much for your attention this evening. To my YouNow viewers, I thank you very, very much. And... Um, I'm glad to be on board in the new, the new um, format here. Everybody have a great night, and I will talk to you again next Thursday. Take care now. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.